Welcome to the History Guy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to stories of lesser-known historical events told by Lance Geiger, also known as the History Guy on YouTube. I'm Josh, your host, a writer for the channel and eldest son of the History Guy. We tell all kinds of stories about history, from the modern era to the ancient past, so you never know what we're going to talk about next. One thing you can be sure of, it is history that deserves to be remembered. On today's episode, the History Guy tells two stories about one of the most famous villains of the early American Republic, the much maligned third vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr, and the man whose life he took, Alexander Hamilton. Without further ado, let me introduce the History Guy. Alexander Hamilton, the fiery founding father who came to America as an immigrant and an orphan and wound up being one of the most powerful people in the nation, has received a lot of attention lately, owing to the 2015 musical based on the biography by Ron Chernow. And that is well-deserved. Alexander Hamilton was brilliant and a complex and interesting personality who played a vital role in the founding of the nation. But he is almost as well-known for the circumstances of his death shot to death in a duel with Aaron Burr, the Vice President of the United States, as anything he did in life. And as intriguing as the Hamilton-Burr duel was, it is even more interesting if you look at it in context of Alexander Hamilton's history with the practice of dueling. Over his lifetime, Alexander Hamilton was a party to no less than ten affairs of honor, seven as a primary and three others as someone else's second. And it's even more interesting when you look at the duels that were engaged by members of his family and the odd string of coincidences that tie together the bizarre history of Alexander Hamilton's duels. The story begins with the infamous Hamilton Reynolds affair. In November of 1792, a man named James Reynolds was accused of financial crimes that involved public funds. When he was arrested, he tried to negotiate a deal by making an astounding claim. The Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, he said, was involved in the scheme. This information was passed to three U.S. Senators who went to confront Hamilton about the charges, one of those being the Virginia Senator James Monroe, a future President of the United States. But when they talked to Hamilton, the story took even another twist. Hamilton claimed that his financial dealings with Reynolds had nothing to do with the financial scheme, but instead were blackmail payments that Hamilton was making because he had had an illicit affair with Reynolds' wife. And Hamilton had letters to prove his story. As the affair would have been a scandal but would not have been illegal, the senators agreed to drop the matter and all agreed that they would keep the details secret. And the entire thing seemed to blow over. That is, until five years later. In 1792, a man named James Thompson Callender, a scandal-mongering journalist and pamphleteer, published a pamphlet that included details on Hamilton's affair with Mrs. Reynolds and included some of the letters that had been part of the 1792 investigation. Embarrassed, Hamilton was forced to release publicly details of the affair in order to free himself from charges that he participated in the financial scandal. Hamilton was incensed, and he was convinced that the person who had released the letters was James Monroe. Monroe denied the charge, and the two came very close to calling each other liars, a claim that could very easily lead to one or the other demanding satisfaction in a gentleman's duel. 
The situation got so bad that in one face-to-face meeting, Alexander Hamilton brought his brother-in-law, English businessman James Barker Church, with him, just in case it turned into a duel then and there, and he had to have a second with him. But the reason the two ended up not fighting a duel had to do with a third party. James Monroe had invited a mutual acquaintance who they had both met while fighting the revolution to be the intermediary as they argued back and forth. And that intermediary thought that they were both being childish and knew that a duel could end their careers. And he was the one that was able to tamp down the rhetoric and prevent the two from escalating to the point where they had to meet on the field of honor, something that could have cost either of them their lives and almost certainly would have cost both of them their political careers. And that person who prevented Alexander Hamilton from having a career-ending duel with James Monroe was Aaron Burr. Burr and Hamilton had a history. At one time, they had been friends, but that really changed in 1791. At the time, the U.S. Senate seat from New York was selected not by a vote of the people, but by a vote of the New York legislature. And Aaron Burr had managed to scheme through the legislature to unseat the incumbent Revolutionary War General Philip Schuyler. Philip Schuyler was the father of Elizabeth Schuyler, who was married to Alexander Hamilton. And Hamilton was convinced that Burr was a rogue from the moment that he outschemed his father-in-law for that Senate seat. But Alexander Hamilton was not the first of Philip Schuyler's sons-in-laws to fight a duel with Aaron Burr. John Barker Church, the English businessman whom Hamilton had brought with him in the meeting with Monroe in case they had to fight a duel then and there, was married to another of Schuyler's daughters, and he hated Burr just as much as Hamilton did. And in 1799, he accused Burr of taking bribes. That led to a challenge, which led to a duel at the dueling grounds in Weehawken, New Jersey. Burr fired first, he missed. Church fired second, and he missed, but he came very close. His bullet tore Burr's cloak just a little bit over, and it would have prevented the duel that killed Alexander Hamilton. Their honor satisfied, they did not fire a second shot. A poignant part of Act Two of the musical Hamilton is the death of Hamilton's son, Philip, who was killed, of course, in a duel. That duel, which was fought in 1801, was fought between Hamilton's son, Philip, and a New York City lawyer who had made disparaging comments about Alexander Hamilton, and Philip was shot to death in the duel which was fought at the dueling grounds in Weehawken, New Jersey, the same place where Philip's uncle had fought the duel with Aaron Burr, and was fought with dueling pistols that Philip Hamilton had borrowed from his uncle, John Barker Church, the same pistols that Church had used in his duel with Aaron Burr. In 1804, Aaron Burr, who was then Vice President of the United States, decided to run for Governor of New York, and he lost that election largely because of opposition by Alexander Hamilton. When some disparaging comments about Burr made by Hamilton were published in the paper, it led to a challenge and a duel. That famous duel was fought at the dueling grounds in Weehawken, New Jersey, the same grounds where Hamilton's brother-in-law had dueled the same man, Aaron Burr, and where Hamilton's son, Philip Hamilton, had been killed. And the pistols used in the duel were the set that belonged to John Barker Church, the same set of pistols that had killed Hamilton's son in 1801 and nearly killed Aaron Burr in 1799. Hamilton shot high. Burr struck Hamilton in the chest, a fatal and famous blow. Dueling was not uncommon amongst the gentleman class of early America, but fatalities were. Hamilton's participation in so many challenges, even though he only fought the one duel, shows how excessive his sense of honor was, but of course the same could be said of Aaron Burr. 
It is, however, a supreme irony that Aaron Burr, who had kept Alexander Hamilton from fighting an ill-advised duel with James Monroe, later became the hand of Hamilton's death. The duel effectively ended Burr's political career. Eventually, he was accused of treason in a supposed conspiracy with Spain, and although he was acquitted, he never again served in public office. To this day, he has a reputation, some say unfairly, of being a traitor to the nation. There's still disagreement over exactly what happened in the duel between Hamilton and Burr because no one who was present could say definitively who had fired first. Some claim that Hamilton had missed on purpose, and in fact he left a note behind saying that he planned to do that, although that note might have been a ruse. But others claim that Burr fired first, and it was Burr's shot that caused Hamilton to miss. And that entire question took a bizarre turn in 1976. You see, this infamous set of pistols that was owned by John Barker Church and that was used in all three of those duels involving Hamilton and Burr were purchased in London in 1797, and they stayed in the Church family until 1930 when they were sold to Chase Manhattan Bank, which was, ironically, a descendant of the Manhattan Company, which had been founded by Aaron Burr. And Chase Manhattan Bank still owns the pistols and sometimes puts them on display. But in 1976, Chase Manhattan Bank allowed the Smithsonian Institution to inspect the pistols, and there they found a shocking twist. The pistols had been designed to cheat. One of the pistols had a special mechanism built in so that if you pushed the trigger far forward, it would create a pistol with a hair trigger, which might allow you to fire a hair faster than someone you were fighting in a duel, something that would have been incredibly dishonorable. And as those pistols belonged to Hamilton's family, it's likely that Hamilton knew about that modification and Burr did not. And so some claim that the reason that Alexander Hamilton fired high in his duel with Aaron Burr was because he had chosen to cheat using a pistol with a hair trigger and that caused him to fire early as he was lowering his pistol. And of course that's an unanswerable question and maybe that is fitting with the most enigmatic of America's founding fathers. It is certainly another twist in the bizarre history of Alexander Hamilton's duels. Now is the part of the episode where we get to chat with the history guy. A little bit about what we just heard, what we're going to hear, and some behind-the-scenes stuff you only get to hear about on the podcast. So, dueling in the American, these early American years, is it's a really interesting history. You could do what we could do a whole episode on the history of dueling, which heck we probably will at some point. Uh, but it's it's interesting because it was fairly widely considered uh, taboo. People didn't like it. However, when it came to men actually dueling, uh, the answer always seemed to be different because <laughs> they continued to yeah. duel. It is. It was. It was generally illegal yeah. in the in the in the entire uh, all the colonies, uh, and yet it still occurred quite a yeah. lot, at least among gentlemen. Uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it, it is, you could go look at a whole tradition because it was very rarely had any sort of actual, you know, deadly intent yes. to it. And that was something that was kind of unique for Hamilton's that there were those two duels because his son as well, you know, the way they actually died in the yeah. duel, because usually you shot and you missed and you decide your honor had been satisfied. But it's also in a world where, I mean, today with all the stuff that we say online and how much people yell at each other and stuff like that, if someone accused you of having in another context called them a liar 
then that was a matter of honor that could be taken to the point of a duel. Yeah. So, uh, it, so I mean, it, it, in one way, you know, that the society was so sensitive in terms of reputation yeah. uh, that they had to have some sort of out, other than you know just to say, "Oh, we agree to disagree," or you know, however, however they put it. So it is. I mean, it's certainly dueling is interesting, and that's one of the reasons that I talk about Hamilton. It potentially it has to do with Hamilton's personality mm-hmm. because because uh, most or many of the, the you know the people we call the founding fathers whatever that term means many of them were you know came of, from means and he came from very you know modest means uh, that maybe he was more you know willing to protect his honor yeah. uh, or it might be you know just coincidence I mean the three duels in this might have been fought with the same set of pistols that's interesting it's not really clear if, if all three actually were fought with this same set of pistols but uh, uh but i mean the fact that you would own a pair of dueling pistols where dueling is illegal yeah <laughs> <laughs> says something about it so the whole history of duels is quite interesting uh but uh th- I mean, that's not really what the video is about of course yeah. so the video is about you know these the particular conflicts that led to these these duels that that uh, hamilton was personally involved in well and of course they they go to Weehawken each time because it was illegal in New York. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you could see it from yeah. there. But I mean, if you if you understand where Weehawken is, too, because it was illegal in New yeah. Jersey, too. But I mean, where Weehawken is, it's, you know, it's, it's like a essentially kind of on a cliff face. There's just this open field, which is not just perfect for dueling. But I mean, there's no good way to get there from the New Jersey yeah. side. Uh, you'd have to you have to essentially row there from the New York side. So I mean, it's, but again, that you know that we came up with that <laughs> where dueling is illegal. Well, we just come up with a dueling ground where you know no one's going to. Yeah, you you can't me, arrest us because you're not going to catch us. I mean, part us. of the odd tradition of it, for example, is it was so illegal yeah. that even though you had seconds and witnesses, they all turned their backs so they would not witness the actual duel, so that they could not be held legally responsible. And that's one of the reasons we don't know fully what happened yeah. in in any of these duels, uh, because the act all the witnesses had their backs turned. It's only the only the two people in the duels who know what. And what when happened. one of them dies, you only have one version of that story, and that's particularly applicable here because two of yeah, these three, yeah. uh, we only had one person who survived yeah. them. Yeah, so you only you only have that one version of the yeah. story. You know, Hamilton survived long enough that he could have told a, a version true. of the duel. But I mean, it's that's the whole point. Is Hamilton might have prepared more than one version just on what was yes that's which is an interesting question i i don't you know that that letter that he left that says he was gonna he was gonna fire wide uh it's Mm -hmm. it does not prove that he did but it's an interesting uh it doesn't well especially since the letter said you know if i if i don't come back yes i imagine he he would have destroyed to be revealed that letter if he if he has had survived the duel yeah yeah if he had if he had you know shot Burr in the face. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the note never gets opened, you know. <laughs> uh, it's so it's it's one of those things, and and the thing is, uh, you know, we talk about uh, Aaron Burr as this as the politician. Um, the the tr- there is a there is a truth to the fact that all these politicians in the early American Republic wanted to pretend that they weren't politicians, and. Uh, they that was that was to well, some extent a facade. I mean, he was maybe the That's one true. who just you know said you know we're gonna. But I mean, you cannot say that Hamilton was was not uh, uh, ambitious, no. uh, and and you can't. Say, I mean, you know Jefferson, you know he he paid writers essentially to you know attack and slander yeah. Adams, uh, and I mean so I mean we, we they certainly played politics in their way, but I mean but they also you know there's a way that they kind of kept to the side of it and stuff like that. So maybe Burr was the first one just to admit. 
you know, what was going on, or the one that more crassly at the time admitted yeah. what was going on. But I mean, I, I don't think you'd say, you know, maybe with the exception of Washington, Washington might not actually have been a politicker, and, and maybe he didn't need to. I mean, you know, maybe yeah. Washington, because he had so much reputation that he could he could stand above that. But yeah, I mean, you know, most of them were running for office. There's no, there's no question that Hamilton was seeking certain power. Yeah. He might have been less interested in seeking office in the same way that Burr was. Uh, but I mean, part of the you know the the division between them was because yeah. he was mad because they had he had, uh, uh, because Burr had politicked his father-in-law out of the Senate seat in, in New York because you know senators were picked by the the uh, the, the legislature yeah. at the time and so he went and politicked the legislature and got Schuyler you know got the position of Schuyler so I mean that you know, was that just because he you know he felt for his father-in-law or is that had to do with his political ambitions it's a good question I mean, you, what you would have to say about hamilton and burr is that you know hamilton was a federalist burr was for most part was a democrat republican so they were on opposite parties yeah. uh, and that was a big part of the bad blood between them oh absolutely and those i mean there was so much there. I mean, there was a ton of crass politics that that everybody just pretended didn't really go on. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that was, of course, Washington couldn't have gotten anything done in his in his eight years if he didn't have someone doing politics. And Hamilton was one of those yeah, people uh, that did, you know, that yeah, did quite absolutely. a lot of politicking uh, during Washington's uh, uh, presidency. And that's I mean, th- that's the same for Jefferson. Jefferson essentially learned in, you know, the 1796 uh, election that he needed to politic a little more than uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> than he had. And that changed it. Then he had, and that's yeah. that's why he and then, of course, John Adams and him never I mean, it took them a while to become friends again after to, to reconcile yeah, because yeah. we have another video yeah because of their political differences because of that uh, but we're of course we're talking about the the these duels um and it is hamilton ends up being and he was so until fairly recently you would have said he was fairly obscure uh despite his face being on the mm-hmm. the ten dollar bill but you know in the last the last almost 10 years or so uh, he's a lot less obscure thanks to the thanks to the musical yeah yeah and it, yeah, the music, which is interesting because it was quite a good book yeah. uh, and a fairly famous book. But again, you know, history books only reach so much yeah. population. And it was because it reached this artist who took a took, a, you know, a, I think a deeper meaning really from the book. When you, cause yeah. when you talk about Hamilton, the musical, it really is, you know, it, it's finding within Ham, Hamilton this sort of broader understanding of, of who the, you know, the revolution and the ideals of the revolution appealed to. Uh, and so then, you know, Hamilton becomes quite famous. Yeah. Uh, although you know, again, it's uh, you know, if, it's always a, an interesting version. Everything that yeah. you have is an interesting spin. So doing it as a musical gives it an <laughs> interesting spin as well. But uh, Hamilton is really one of the most complex and interesting of these. Uh, I mean, if you want to use that term, founding father. I mean, certainly he fought in the revolution. He was important in the revolution. Yeah. He, you know, he helped to take Yorktown. The, the, the assault on the Redoubt at Yorktown was interesting. But uh, uh, more than uh, a lot of them that held office, and you know, certainly probably more than Aaron Burr, he he affected how yeah. this nation is run because he really kind of built the financial yeah. system that the government is built it's on. so it's so interesting because ultimately you know jefferson opposed almost everything hamilton did but ultimately mm-hmm. in jefferson's presidency he didn't change as much of it as uh, as you might expect given how much he opposed it uh, and it it which speaks somewhat to i mean how effective hamilton's hamilton's things were but right. of course yeah. I mean, Jeffer- Jefferson's vision, which is, I guess, the more libertarian yeah. position today. I mean, it's, uh, maybe he took it to an extent where when you got there, you realized you couldn't yeah. actually you know, run a government that way, especially when you run into real... I mean, Jefferson figured out that he needed a Navy, yes. right? I mean, Even he did not want one. He very firmly didn't yeah. want... In fact, you know, you can talk about how in 1812, uh, he didn't want a standing army, he didn't want a standing Navy, and that was part of why we were so unprepared going into 1812, was because Jefferson did mm-hmm. not... 
uh, didn't want to be well he didn't want to be prepared for that he didn't think it was good so idealism might yeah. have run into some realism uh in mm. that point and, and it's it, that is still i mean forever what you want to talk about parties or whatever that is still the kind of the fundamental difference in politics today yeah. on a very different yeah. level because nobody at that time would have imagined all that the government does no. today or what you know the modern world looks like but i mean that's it's still the fundamental fight today is is you know how much government do you need versus yeah. how much you know, freedom do you need uh, you know another thing that was interesting to me in the in the in the in the fight that the two of them had is that his argument that burr would you know his that his politics would change by whatever was popular is still an argument you would very commonly oh, yeah. hear today applied to a oh gosh yeah you know, that's i mean you, you pro- probably turn on the tv and he- hear people saying that about someone you know today and it's it's very interesting that that's because Today, I think we would also expect people uh, to alter their politics somewhat, depending on you know who they're talking to or focus on different things. Uh, whenever you know you have someone as a regional politician uh, or a state level politician, they tend to focus on different things. Then, when they move into the national stage, they will pull stuff out of their platform. Uh, or you know, not focus on parts of their platform that they focused on before. I mean, that's 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 politics, right? That's that's how it works and how you market yourself and stuff. Uh, so we have some of those same complaints. Yeah. Occasionally, you kind of wish that those two guys would just go off to WeHop <laughs> before you take it to the rest of it. Which you know, I guess this because we're having this discussion of Mark Zuckerberg oh, yeah. and, and Elon Musk having a cage match or whatever. Uh, and you know, it's kind of interesting. Maybe we're moving back to the era of dueling where we can finally say, look, you know, enough of this. Just throw them in a cage. Whoever wins. <laughs> Until someone says uncle, you know, yeah. my honor is satisfied. Well, so, I mean, so you, when you look at what they're saying and, and that that frustration still exists yeah. today, then you can kind of see why, even though dueling was illegal, I can see why at some point they finally just said, you know, you know, screw it. I'm gonna, screw it. Let's, let's just, just go, let's, shoot let's just shoot at each other. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll... <laughs> he's got one shot. You know, <laughs> Ultimately, you know, they do that and you, you wonder what exactly it solved. It was a really weird uh because uh, it doesn't answer the it, argument yeah, at all. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. In none of those three duels did it did it truly answer things. Uh, and uh, uh, and you know you have to say, I mean, uh, the deaths of, of two of these three duels were, I mean, were truly tragic. Yeah. What I mean, what Hamilton's son might have accomplished, yeah. uh, given you know what we saw, you know, the the sons of other you know founding fathers doing, and and he seemed to be an accomplished man, and he died you know protecting his father's yeah. honor. But it's also uh, very interesting to wonder what. Alexander Hamilton would have done more had he not died in that duel. And it is also interesting to wonder what might have become of Aaron True. Burr had he not killed Hamilton yeah. in that duel. And so as much as we, we can joke here yeah. about a cage match or whatever, I mean, these, it's truly in the end, the reason you ban dueling is because you shouldn't be killing promising people just because you're, you know, mad at each Yeah, over, over uh, and that, an insult. Yeah, over, over, over something somebody said at a dinner party or whatever. And so it, it is an interesting bit of history yeah. yeah it is and it changed i mean it, it changed history and the truth is we you know we can't know exactly how much it changed history that's you know that's really getting into counterfactual kind of stuff uh, but I, hamilton was in some ways i mean his his uh his political ambitions were were in some ways at a low ebb uh, you know when when he actually mm-hmm. had this duel uh, but there were certainly promises that he could continue to uh, to be an effective politician and to have a say in how things you know how things were run yeah he you know, he might have wandered off, or he might have continued yeah. to be powerful in the background. It's hard to know. He might have, you know, had a comeback. It's just, it is very hard to certainly, know. certainly, uh, Burr and, and, would have remained in politics. Uh, he tried to remain in politics uh, even afterwards. His political career was destroyed. But yeah. I mean, that, I mean, there's, you know, Burr was vice president yeah. because he was good at politics, and there's a, a chance that Aaron Burr could have been a president of the United it's, States. And and this duel is really. 
you know, what internet. crazier things have happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, this it's just the the historical coincidence of the of the pistols yeah. is just still you know still crazy, utterly you know fascinating. Not something people think about know. that you know what that these that these pistols these pieces of history that were uh, ancillary in in many in many ways to what was going on, but also integral. I mean, they were so important. Uh, without yeah. them, you know, these duels these duels wouldn't have happened. And it's interesting to think that it was the that it could have been the same pistols that were used at three. I mean, significant. Uh, pieces of history, even though you don't necessarily remember yeah, uh, meaningful. Yeah, I mean the, the first. Well, yeah, but I mean had had uh, I'm going to forget his name, but had the church shot. <laughs> it would have been a very different <laughs> church. Had church killed Burr in the first duel, you know, the other two duels might not have occurred. Uh, interesting. You know, it's, you know, yeah, but it's a, I, it, yeah, I mean certainly, and uh, and that's you know uh, there can be an item that weaves its way through history. Yeah. There really can be an item that weaves its way through history. And those pistols, which are still around, they're owned by Chase Bank, which is a descendant of the Manhattan Bank that. Uh, that Burr created. <laughs> uh, it is, I mean, it is at very least just an absolutely compelling story. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they would duel says something about, you know, what, what was really in the minds of these, uh, of these people that were trying to found a nation and, you know, that honor was so important to them that despite the importance of everything they were doing, they were willing to, you know, put their lives yeah. at risk over, you know, over, you know, a, a challenge and yeah. argument. And it does show, you know, uh, you know, flaws. And I mean, you know, people that, I mean, we maybe think of Hamilton as much more of a hero now yeah. because of the musical, but I mean, you know, the duel shows it. And he certainly, he was a, he was a person, you know, that had character flaws among yeah. them was pride. Yeah. And they talk about, I and mean, sure now talks about that in the book about how very often Hamilton uh, seems to disparage dueling and the concept of dueling. And yet uh, he repeatedly got himself involved or nearly involved in, in duels, yeah, yeah. Man, man, that came very close. Nearly, not nearly had a duel with Monroe. Which, so, which again, what it could have been that would have been interesting too. Yeah. <laughs> could have been a rather, a rather uh, history-changing event. And of course, the, the irony that Burr was the the reason that they didn't get into that fight. Uh, hard to it's hard to make that kind of stuff up. I mean, that feels that feels like all these like it full is. circle. A lot of irony between yeah. them. You know, another another episode we're not talking about here, but that, that uh, Hamilton and Burr. Uh, together tried one of the yeah. most important trials of the day and that they were co-counsel defending a person yeah. one of the most in the manhattan well murder uh, i mean i mean it's just the 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 how those two touched yeah. and that they ended up such on opposite sides that bird would burr would kill hamilton and essentially end his own political career doing yeah. that i mean this is you know the, the truth stranger than fiction this is a better story than uh, almost any fiction book you will get yeah. in terms of a plot line uh, and it really, I mean, it weaves together into uh, these were, you know, these people that founded our nation and tried to figure out how to run it. They were real people. Uh, and their their lives were real and complex and passionate yeah. and, uh, and flawed. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, there's no better reason to understand history because you would say that about virtually everybody that uh, leads the nation today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's good for us to kind of see how they how they were people. Um, I, you know, I, I think that as, as historians, uh, I think that's what we try to do, uh, in, in our videos and stuff like that is show that, show the complexities and it's difficult for us to do it as, you know, we have a very short format, but, um, I did want to mention that you did, you got to talk about this, 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 exa- these duels, well, this, the, 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 <laughs> the one duel specifically on a, on an actual television show uh, called the unexplained. We're an actual oh, television. No, yes, but on a History <laughs> Channel show that's called The Unexplained with William Shatner. Uh, and the episode, if you want to go look it up, is called uh, Secrets of the Founding Fathers. 
Uh, and it was very, it was fun to be invited to do that. And, uh, and it is, I mean, it's a little bit different than what we do on the history guy because they're really looking at the mystery. And of course there is a, an interesting yeah. mystery here because we really don't know what exactly happened in that duel. Uh, and, uh, and so you, I mean, you can tie this compelling piece of history to, you know, in the end, everybody turned their back, uh, and, uh, Hamilton died. Uh, and we honestly don't know his intent in that duel, no. and that is truly unexplained. So it's uh, you can go look that episode up. It was very fun to do. It's a great show, as, uh, and, uh, uh, and I can say quietly uh, that I will likely be in other episodes of The Unexplained. I can't say which. I can't tell you what, you know, what we talked about, but uh, I, I, I think they like me enough uh, uh, that, I, that I'll be invited back and will occasionally appear on that show, uh, which, is, which is cool. It's great exposure, and it's a lot of fun. And great people, yeah. too. It's called uh, Prometheus is the... The company that makes the show and they, and they really have treated me well uh so yes uh, you can go you can go look the, and, it, and it is it is to me very exciting that we made an episode of the history guy and someone saw that and said wow that's an interesting mystery and then decided to include it on this other yeah. television show there and on the history Channel. and it is you know we talk about that mystery uh, there's so much about it that we'll that we'll just never know and it's it's interesting to we'll to think know. about yeah. that that is no one there were no witnesses, uh, or we got all the story from the witnesses, and that's—I mean—that is such an interesting story. Now, the, the mechanism that was built into the pistols, uh, some people will tell you that those were common, and some people will, you know, will say no, they weren't. Uh, some, and it's. It's questionable about whether that would have violated the honor of a duel. Yeah. I mean, the idea is that, I mean, if you had some mechanism in the pistol and both people did not know about it, then probably this was, you know, this was, you know, an intentional, you know, way to misuse the weapon. But, uh, but the interesting thing is that could be an explanation for firing high, yeah. which is what we know Hamilton did. So what we don't know is if Hamilton put his pistol up in the air and shot straight which up. Is, which is... Uh, or if, if, if Hamilton fired high while lowering his yeah. pistol. And if he did, I mean, would even Berno... If that was Hamilton, you know, hair trigger, or if that was Hamilton deliberately missing. So, part of that it's only in the mind of Alexander Hamilton, and he 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 didn't he had every reason not to say. Uh, uh, and if his goal was, uh, he thought his political career was on the wane, and he wanted to ruin the political career of Aaron Burr, uh, then you know Hamilton succeeded. Yeah, you know, maybe that was the goal. It's it's difficult to know, and well, and of course it's impossible to know exactly. Uh, Burr, of course, had every reason. Uh, to give us a particular version of that story and uh, mm -hmm. his in his story focused on the fact of course that he thought Hamilton was trying to kill him and there there are some the fact that that because uh, Hamilton supposedly you know wrote the letter that says I was going to purposely miss but then he fiddles with the gun according to Burr and he uh -huh. puts on his glasses and like really seems to sight the pistol and stuff it is awfully difficult if that's how it happened yeah. to blame Burr for thinking that well, Hamilton we, was trying to shoot we know he wrote the letter yes I mean the yes. question was was the letter a uh, if I miss uh, if I die, yeah. I'm going to make sure that I take Burr with well, me. Well, and he, uh, because Hamilton you know, was, we, you know, we Hamilton was obsessed to to some extent with his legacy, uh, and and I, I wouldn't put it past him. He was a very very smart guy, and clearly, in some ways, uh, he had his ability to scheme and uh, be do intrigue as much as. But Burr. it also would have been utterly characteristic in duels of the yeah. day. For him to deliberately miss in the assumption that Burr was going to deliberately miss, and then they would both say, you know, our honor is satisfied. Yeah. 
And so I, we, you know, we don't know. No, it is. It is to coin a phrase un, or a word unexplained. Absolutely. And honestly, you know, those guns were not necessarily uh, notoriously accurate. Uh, so to some extent at that distance, oh, no, you, yeah, you had to be a pretty good shot. Yeah. <laughs> Though, I mean, you were, I mean, you were just trying to hit a body, but yeah. yes, that was part of the point of dueling too, was to be far enough away that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, a simple shot. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you could, I mean, the rules of dueling, you could take a second shot. No one ever, no one ever really did. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, we, we didn't get really good. I mean, we got some statement from the witnesses that were there. They didn't see what happened, but yeah. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't clear, you know, even from their perspective, if if either side intended to just, you know, make this an affair of honor or if they actually intended for this to be to be deadly. We just know how it turned and out. And we don't know if Hamilton, uh, I, Hamilton, even if he did intend what he wrote in that letter, he could have changed his mind. <laughs> yeah. And uh, who who yeah. knows? And see him there in front of you and say, "No, screw it." I'm gonna I hate this him. guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. Really, at all. they clearly did not like each other by that point. That's yeah. true. I think. I think. The things that Hamilton was said to have said, I think he probably said. Yeah, pro- absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he, he. I think he probably meant it, and I think the reason he didn't take it back is because he he yeah, meant it. And he yeah. wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna take back something he meant. Which which uh, there's there's some honor to that, I suppose. Although I don't know enough to make mm-hmm. me shoot someone, but yeah, I mean, I you know, I I hope not. Uh, I hope that we have moved move past that because uh, you know, in the as much, I mean, we joked about that for a second. Sometimes you wish these guys would yeah. just gotten you know. Yeah, but uh, uh, obviously yeah. not. You know, obviously there's a reason we have to. There's a reason it was illegal at the time, and and it's hard to wrap this one up in a bow. Yeah. What happened happened, and what happened was an absolutely amazing, compelling story on how all these pieces weave together. The the pistols, the duels that you know, the bros in, in, engaged in two of the duels, and 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 all of that absolutely weaves together. But in the end, the story is tragic. Yeah. It is a, it is a tragedy. Uh, one man lost his life. Another man's career was destroyed. Uh, and these were both promising men. So this podcast is supported in a lot of ways from various pay channels like Patreon. Yeah, if you support the history guy, if you like yeah. history, if you like forgotten history, then uh, this is, you know, the bottom line is that this takes a lot of time and effort. This is our day job. And if you like history and if you th- want to continue with this, there's lots of ways you can support us. Uh, you can go right now on, if you watch one of the the channels on YouTube or the podcast will be posted on YouTube eventually too, uh, you can just go and click and, you know, give a dollar or two and that does make a difference for us. Or you can become a supporter on YouTube, a member, a YouTube member and give a little bit per month or you can go to our patreon page which is patreon.com slash history guy uh and uh, and that way you can also uh, you know give some money to the history guy there's we also have merchandise if you want to buy a t-shirt uh, and another way that you can support the history guy and also that you can just enjoy yourself because we've really really put together some fun ways is that we've we've created these trips with the history guy and the, you know this is something we've been working on for a while and COVID got in the way and all sorts of stuff but the idea is to schedule a trip where I go with you and we we talk about history uh, and uh, and I do I mean uh, there's enough of it to pay for my trip I mean it does support the history guy but it also is a chance for you to get to know the history guy me the person uh, my name is Lance and I'm a real person and I promise that we'll get to know each other and so we've got some trips scheduled and you can find those on the webpage, which is thehistoryguy.com that's thehistoryguy.com you go there and you'll be able to find what trips are available what the prices are available you can sign up for the trips there uh, we've got uh, a trip to germany in june that i think still has a couple of spots it's going to be a lot of fun goes from germany down into austria uh, we've got a trip in june in the, the london area that there's lots of room in that one and actually 
if you've been to London, if you think you've been to the UK, it's doing a lot of things you don't typically do when you're in London. I think it's just going to be some of the typical things are there. You know, we'll be going to Elizabeth Tower. We'll, we'll, we'll go to Westminster Abbey. But we're also doing a lot of things that you don't typically do that are kind of you know outside or around the city as, as well as some, just some fun stuff. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to shooting longbows and <laughs> tasting cocktails. So, uh, and I, I hadn't really talked about this before, but I tried to schedule that trip in June so that it would end when uh, would should be, uh, they haven't been decided yet, but what very likely will be the weekend of Tank Fest oh, yeah. down in Dorset because I was hoping to be in England to go down to Tank Fest. So if you, if you come on the trip with the history guy, uh, and you're interested in going seeing, you know, the tanks driving down at Dorset, which the, the, the tank museum is absolutely amazing, and they've always treated us very well too. Um, I would be happy to coordinate plans. I, I, I think that I would be at least some part of the program there, even if it's just a meet and greet and signing thing, or maybe they'll maybe they'll, you know put me in as a speaker again this year. I don't know. I've, we haven't decided that yet. But uh, so I mean, that would be a lot of great fun. And then this one too. Uh, we know that it's not always easy to go abroad, but I mean, we are still going to do a trip in March uh, here in the United States. It's going to be in the D.C. area. So, uh, I mean, it's it's always fun to go to D.C. You might have seen these before, but you didn't see them with the history <laughs> guy. It is, it's 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 three nights. It's four days. And you fly to D.C. Uh, it gets you uh, between the dinners and the hotels and the coach tours and stuff like that. Uh, th those are more than, or, you know, you're already getting as much as you would have paid for the price of the trip, it would have cost you that much to spend three nights in a hotel to get the three dinners uh, and to get the tours that we're doing. Uh, plus, uh, you get to do that with the history guy, and I plan to, plan to spend time with all of you. And it's just fun. If that one works out pretty well, we might come up with some other ones, like some Civil War battlefields and stuff like that. We were just looking at stuff to do. Again, all those trips and whatever ones we come up with in the future, and I think we're going to keep putting them together because it's just a fun way to do things, those will be on the webpage, which is thehistoryguy.com, where you can also, if you want, contribute to the History Guy or buy merchandise or find where you can sign up for pay channels like we have on Patreon. If you don't like Patreon, because some people don't, then we also have a community at Locals, uh, or you can do memberships at, uh, at, at YouTube. YouTube. That stuff goes to do a lot of things. And one of the things that really helps to do is to pay people like Josh to do things like make uh, the podcast, which we really love doing. Uh, and so if you love history, uh, then uh, you can certainly help out what we do. And you know, and I've, I've gone on a lot of trips with my dad. And I tell you what, it's it's worth it. He, he adds something to the trip. <laughs> We'll see. We might take Josh on some of these, too, if you want to meet both of us. We'll have to figure out. Now, if everybody doesn't know, Josh is a young father, so it might be a little while before uh, before we can peel him away again. But uh, I would love to be able to take a trip where you can meet Josh, too, because we have such a good time on these podcasts. And maybe we could tape a podcast Ooh. during one of the trips and people could participate in the That's podcast. That's a fun idea. Wouldn't that be a hoot? Next up, the history guy tells the story of Aaron Burr's life and times. He was a soldier, a lawyer, and crassly, a politician. He used his company's funds to fund his allies. He campaigned for himself and his causes door to door. His party removed judges they didn't like to replace them with their friends. In a time when rumors of foreign interference and in national affairs ran rampant, people openly speculated that he was in league with those foreign powers. It was 1806, and the United States was grappling with what some might describe as the nation's first real modern politician. His name was Aaron Burr, and his story deserves to be remembered. He was born into privilege, the son of the president of Princeton University and the grandson of noted theologian Jonathan Edwards. Orphaned at an early age after his parents and grandparents died, his uncle raised him. He went to the college his father founded, joined the Revolutionary Army after the battles of Lexington and Concord. 
Burr started his military career under General Richard Montgomery, joining him in the Quebec campaign and distinguished himself when he ran onto the battlefield trying to recover the general's corpse after Montgomery was shot in the neck. A lieutenant colonel, his regiment was devastated by British artillery at the Battle of Monmouth, where he collapsed from heat stroke. He left the army in 1779 due to continuing ill health. While Alexander Hamilton was pursuing further glory on the battlefield, Burr became one of the country's spies doing covert intelligence work. That reputation likely lent credence to later stories of Burr's treachery. He married the widow of a British officer, studied for the bar in Albany, and palled around with General Philip Schuyler and his son-in-law, Alexander Hamilton. Relocating to New York City in 1783, Burr began a new career, opening a law practice and then serving in the New York Assembly. While in the Assembly, he introduced bills that would have allowed women to vote and abolished slavery. In 1794, he bought Richmond Hill, a house that has served as headquarters for Washington until American forces retreated in New York. He hosted the renowned Mohawk chief Joseph Brandt and treated him as an equal, far different treatment than the chief could have expected from Burr's contemporaries. Unlike other politicians of his era, Burr exhibited a raw ambition and drive, something that other founders might have seen as gauche. In 1789, Governor George Clinton appointed him Attorney General. In a coup in 1791, the New York legislature elected him U.S. Senator over the incumbent, his former friend Philip Schuyler, and served in that office until 1797. Reaching even higher in the political sphere, Byrne ran in the 1796 presidential election, coming in fourth. In the 1800 election, Thomas Jefferson was elected president, and Burr, following the rules of the era, was elected vice president because he received the second largest number of electoral votes. Some historians have described Aaron Burr as America's first professional politician. This set him apart from his contemporaries, who generally would have argued that they were serving out of a sense of personal service rather than any sort of personal gain or ambition. For example, Alexander Hamilton, as the Treasury Secretary, refused to accept his war pension, even though he would have been entitled to it, because he thought it gave the appearance of a conflict of interest. Aaron Burr, on the other hand, didn't seem to much care about the appearance of personal gain. Burr, however, pioneered many tactics we'd recognize in modern politics. He compiled voter lists, helped men register to vote. He went door to door, openly campaigning to secure the vote. He used the political machinery of the city for his ends, getting Democrat-Republicans elected. This seems politics as usual to us now, but at the time, the founders and their contemporaries frowned on Burr's tactics as unseemly. Such was Burr's reputation that Hamilton, who had soured on his former friend after his politicking had unseated his father-in-law in the New York Senate seat, worried to a friend in 1793. In fact, I take it, he is for or against nothing but as it suits his interest or ambition. He is determined, as I conceive, to make his way to be the head of the popular party and to climb to the highest honors of the state, and as much higher as circumstances may permit. In 1799, Burr got a state charter for his water company, the Manhattan Company. On the surface, it was going to install a much-needed sewer system for New York City, but buried in the fine print was a clause that allowed the company to invest its profits, i.e., to become a bank. Burr used the Manhattan Company to fund his fellow Democrat Republicans in the same manner that Hamilton used the Bank of New York to fund Federalists. Manhattan Company survives today as part of J.P. Morgan Chase, and the Bank of New York still exists as well. Burr did not have private wealth. He was perpetually in debt from various schemes, even though he had a successful law practice. In his private correspondence, Hamilton estimated that Burr owed $80,000 to one creditor and that there were others. Burr, unlike many of the other influential men of his time, didn't save all his correspondence, so it was unclear what his true financial situation may have been. 
we do know that he borrowed against his house and from his company many times. While Burr left his personal journal behind, his personal papers did not survive. This may have helped create the image we have of Burr as the villain of the early Republic, because what does survive are the negative opinions of his contemporaries. Even George Washington was wary of Burr. He wrote, By all that I have known and heard, Colonel Burr is a brave and able officer, but the question is whether he is not equal talents at intrigue. During the election of 1800, Jefferson and Burr competed for the office. Although a Federalist and not of Jefferson's party, Hamilton favored Jefferson because he believed Jefferson was the kind of gentleman politician he envisioned as appropriate for the young country. By contrast, Burr, who openly campaigned, was not the kind of person Hamilton and other founders saw as proper. In intervening in the 1800 election, Hamilton wrote to a friend that Burr was without property and loves nothing but himself, thinks of nothing but his own aggrandizement, and will be content with nothing short of permanent power in his own hands. Although Burr became vice president, the animosity between he and Hamilton never ceased. Jefferson never trusted Burr, and he secured the passage of the Twelfth Amendment, which meant that he got to pick his running mate in 1804. Licking his wounds, Burr went back to New York, switched parties, and ran as a Federalist in the gubernatorial primary, but lost. He blamed Hamilton for his defeat, after learning Hamilton had been quoted in a newspaper saying he thought Burr a dangerous man, and one who ought not be trusted with the reins of government, and that there was a still more despicable opinion that Hamilton had of Burr. Burr demanded an apology that Hamilton would not give. After letters of negotiation failed, parties were sent on their fate-filled journey to Weehawken, from which only one of them would survive. After killing Hamilton in the duel, Burr ran out of New York under threats of indictments. He fled to South Carolina, where his daughter, Theodosia, was living with her husband, Joseph Alston. He spent time with his grandson, Aaron Burr Alston, who had been born in 1802. In another action that set him apart from his contemporaries, Burr ensured his daughter was educated, thwarting the wisdom of the time that education was wasted on a woman. He even had a picture of Mary Wolzencraft, the, the women's right advocate, on his wall. Burr settled for hiding out and letting the Fuhrer in New York die down. By 1805, he believed it was safe to return to D.C. In his role as President of the Senate, Burr assisted Jefferson's efforts to remove Federalists from the judiciary. But after being removed from the ticket and as a lame duck vice president in 1805, Burr oversaw the first and only impeachment trial of a Supreme Court justice. Justice Samuel Chase faced impeachments based on charges of political bias. Burr helped ensure that the senators would not vote to impeach the embattled justice. After departing the Senate, giving a farewell address about the role of the Senate that was said to be so eloquent that it made many people weep, but sadly for which no transcript has survived, Burr set out for the West with a new scheme for wealth, this time in land speculation. Along the way, he gathered support and farmers to come with him to a proposed settlement in Louisiana. The Louisiana Territory became part of the United States in 1803. Prior to that, it switched hands between the French and the Spanish. During Jefferson's first term, it was transferred back to the French. The Haitian Revolution cut into French colonial profits, and by 1803 the French were ready to sell their North American territory to the Americans. General James Wilkinson took possession of the territory for Jefferson and became the governor. Wilkinson established a military base known as Cantonment Wilkinson on the Ohio River south of Fort Massac in the Illinois Territory. Military bases on the Ohio were ordered by President Washington and Hamilton in response to threats from Spain and France, which at the time were on the far western border of the United States. 
While the Spanish had been in charge of the Louisiana Territory, they had interfered in American trade with Native Americans, making trade agreements and discouraging Native Americans from making trade agreements with the United States. Later that spring, in 1805, Aaron Burr and General Wilkinson met. Burr had previously gone to Nashville for an honorary dinner and received a warm welcome. There he would have met a young Andrew Jackson, securing his support. Burr said he was trying to muster against a feared Spanish invasion from Mexico. Rumors spread, however, that he was instead planning his own empire. The rumor went, at Fort Massac in Illinois Territory, around the campfire and under the cover of darkness, Wilkinson and Burr discussed a coup that could split the nation, with Spain getting the southwestern United States. Burr would get the western states and start his own empire. Wilkinson sent letters to Burr documenting the plans. Eerily, Hamilton had earlier predicted such treachery. He warned that Burr would make a bargain and sale with some foreign power because great ambition unchecked by principle or the love of glory is an unruly tyrant. By 1806, Burr was ready to act on the plan. He sent a coded letter to Wilkinson's stating that he was ready to begin. Jefferson opened a letter from his general and was shocked by what he read. Burr was plotting a coup with the assistance of Spain's Mexico. Jefferson ensured that a warrant was issued against Burr for treason. Thousands of miles away, Burr was gathering farmers to form a settlement to fend off Spanish invasion. He opened a Louisiana newspaper one morning and saw the news that Jefferson had branded him a traitor. He twice turned himself in, and both times judges said that his activities were legal. He was later caught in Alabama, arrested, and taken to Virginia. In 1807, in a courthouse in Richmond, Burr stood accused of treason. His lawyers included former United States Attorney General Edmund Randolph, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Marshall, personally presided over the trial. Marshall may have intervened because he was thankful for how Burr had presided over the impeachment trial of Justice Chase. In Richmond, men of the grand jury took four tries to secure an indictment. It was likely because of the limited evidence against him. The only physical evidence of Burr's alleged treason was the supposed letter from Burr to Wilkinson detailing the plan. However, it was discovered that Wilkinson had penned the note, not Burr. Though Wilkinson said he had copied it from the original, it was thrown out as evidence. Treason is the only crime defined in the Constitution. Treason is levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. Article 3, Section 3 requires that either the person confesses in open court or two witnesses testify to an overt act of treason. The founders included these limitations because European monarchies had abused the law of treason to imprison their political opponents in the past. They had the dream of a better system of government for the new democratic republic. Burr did not confess in the Richmond courthouse. The government could not produce two witnesses who would testify to an overt act of treason. This is an important distinction from English law, where one could prove constructive treason, which is the charge that could be made for simply thinking about treason. The United States required an overt act of treason, not just an intent to commit treason. Because the constitutional requirements could not be met, Burr was found not guilty. He was supported by his daughter throughout the trial. Jefferson had asked for the more serious treason charges to be brought instead of misdemeanor charges for interfering in diplomatic relations. Because Jefferson was using his influence by going after a former rival, the treason trial of Aaron Burr was a major test of the early republic in constitutional governance. Chief Justice Marshall ensured the young nation kept its principles of fairness and separation of powers. Although acquitted, Burr's hope of returning to politics were ended for good. He fled to Europe to avoid his creditors. He lived in exile for four years before returning to America, but used his mother's maiden name for a while to continue hiding. During this period, his grandson died from a fever, and his daughter went missing at sea and was presumed dead. 
He eventually returned to his law practice in New York and remarried, this time to a wealthy widow who was 19 years younger. Marriage was not a happy one. Ever in debt and continuing his land speculation, Burr started dwindling her fortune. She left him after just four months. She chose Alexander Hamilton Jr. as her divorce lawyer. The divorce was finalized on the day he died, in September 1836. In 1854, historian Charles Gaillard exposed James Wilkinson as Agent 13 for the Spanish government. Wilkinson's duplicity had been suspected in his day, but not proven. Gaillard went through the Spanish archives and discovered Wilkinson had been on the Spanish payroll during his military career, a highly paid spy for the Spanish Empire. He likely threw suspicion on Burr for treason to avoid closer scrutiny of his own treasonous activities. Fort Massac went mostly forgotten until the early 20th century when the Daughters of the American Revolution formed and Illinois members were looking for a revolutionary site in their state. They found it in Fort Massac, which had been captured from the British by General George Rogers Clark in his Kaskaskia campaign. They also found a partner in Professor Joseph Blair of the University of Illinois who wanted a state park system. Together they lobbied the Illinois legislature and the first state park at Fort Massac was established in 1908. Today, visitors can enjoy a replica fort overlooking the Ohio, the ghost of Aaron Burr and James Wilkinson, ever-present. History hasn't necessarily been kind to Aaron Burr. He was largely defined by his enemies, partly because his personal papers were lost history. While Alexander Hamilton's legacy has been refurbished a couple of times, notably by a certain Pulitzer Prize-winning musical, Aaron Burr is still largely seen as one of the villains of early American history, but historians have started to rethink Aaron Burr and his legacy in the last 20 years. Certainly, he saw himself differently than his contemporaries did, and he showed that in the way that he lived his life and the way that he engaged in politics. He understood that raw political power could be used to help your friends, and he did so without apology to his contemporaries. Soldier, attorney, senator, vice president, early advocate of women's rights and Native American rights, possible traitor. Aaron Burr deserves to be remembered as much more than just the guy who shot Alexander Hamilton. So we just talked about the duels, and now we're talking more specifically about the man of Aaron Burr, who is a very interesting character, and I think like a lot of historical characters, probably a lot more complex than uh, his memory. It's interesting, uh, one of the ways that, you know, they kind of talked about it in the musical was that they're two, the two lives parallel each other in so many different ways. And, of course, there is the difference that Hamilton was poor and uh, Burr, was, Burr was born essentially into privilege. However, they were both orphaned. They were both lawyers. They both fought in the revolution in different ways. It's it's interesting to see uh, from from Aaron Burr's perspective too, kind of how he was different than Hamilton, even though he took a, a fairly similar path. Mm-hmm. You know, they crossed paths quite a lot. I mean, they said they they had a lot in common, but they had a lot that was different too. Uh, in many ways, I mean, one of the things they most have in common is that they're a couple of the really most interesting, complex yeah. figures in the in the you know early America. Uh, you know, again, you know, the term founding fathers or whatever. But among people that were certainly played significant roles in the founding of the nation, these two guys are really, really interesting. Uh, and it, they clearly, uh, you know, when they ran into each other, they found you know some sort of you know sympathetic 
you know, bond. The, the, the two of them were friends. The two of them served together. Uh, the two of them uh, uh, were co-counsel in, in an important trial. But on the other hand, I mean, truly, you know, that difference, you know, Burr really comes from, like, you know, yeah. American royalty. Hamilton, you know, wanders here from the Caribbean as an orphan. But uh, the, 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 what they had in common and what they shared and then that they end up, you know, so on opposite sides is really a fascinating story. And, you know, Aaron Burr is, is a misunderstood guy. I think he's probably most remembered, especially today, especially because of the musical, yeah. et cetera. But I mean, I think before that, he's most remembered because he shot Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I don't think people remember him all that much for having been the vice president. Uh, and so it's it's interesting really to get, a, you know, to, I mean, one of the cool things about this particular episode yeah. is to have a better understanding of what went on there. And also an understanding of, in the end, when he's tried for treason, yeah. I mean, that's a very complex story. Uh, and I think, I think, you know, people don't necessarily understand what, it, and it does leave some things unexplained. I mean, it's, I mean, was he, was he simply the victim of being, uh, 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 of Wilkinson, yeah. uh, 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 you know, kind of shifting the blame to him? Or was, I mean, was there some sort of plot there that really, you know, what? When you look at the trial, I mean, it kind of came down to it. It wasn't that they didn't think he was a traitor. It's that they did not have two people who would get on the stand and witness him to be a traitor, which yeah. is what the stand, you know, what standard was at the time. So it leaves some things unexplained, but it certainly says a lot more about who he was with personality over time. And, of course, he, there is this very interesting unexplained story with him, too, where yeah. his daughter, who was very important in, in his life, uh, <clears throat> goes to sea and just disappears. Just disappears, which, of course, I mean, happened to a lot of people. Uh, it was very easy for a ship to disappear in those days. Mm -hmm. And this was even, you know, fairly, fairly late into things. It was, uh, but it was still, I mean, ships disappeared. Uh, gosh, today, occasionally, ships still disappear. A lot harder to do these mm -hmm. days, but because uh, we've cut all of our technology. But his, uh, you know, Burr is, an, is such an interesting figure. And it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, after having read uh, Hamilton uh, by Chernow and, and, you know, just the stuff that we learn through all the stuff we do, uh, there's a lot that uh, you only touch on that you could still do. I mean, gosh, you could do whole episodes on uh, with Burr. Um, for instance, you, you only touch on uh, the election of 1800, although maybe that's partially because uh, it is uh, such a complex story in itself. And it's fairly well well known now since since the, the musical and everything. It's it's an interesting one. Aaron Burr was supposedly, I mean, he had signed on because this was back, you know, before they had uh, vice presidents on a ticket. He was supposed to be the vice president. He was supposed to be on this kind of quasi ticket uh, where the idea was that one person would uh, who was voting for Jefferson would not vote for Burr. Uh, so that he would have one fewer vote, so he would be the vice president, which was, I, I mean, first of all, it, the 1800 election really proved why that was such a silly, uh, <laughs> why that was such a silly system. Uh, and that was beside the fact that, you know, Jefferson was the vice president. To, <laughs> I don't think they really thought of that flaw in the system. Yeah, to, he, Jefferson was the president <laughs> of John Adams, and that was just a, the vice president already didn't necessarily have, uh, you know, it was it was a little bit of an ill-defined position, but once you once you had two, you know, a president and a vice presidents from separate parties, essentially, what you figured out is that that just that just didn't work. That was not <laughs> that was not how the system uh, the the best way to run the system. But you know, you wonder with Burr uh, how much of it he was really intending to do because he was supposed to be the vice president, and ultimately, what sours him with Jefferson is that Burr immediately goes out and goes out and starts politicking, trying to trying to be president. And mm -hmm. I can see why Jefferson was like, hey, that was not yeah, the deal. because that was clearly not what anybody's intent yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that does show, I mean, for whatever you want to say about Burr, he might have been unfairly maligned. But, I mean, he was so crassly a politician yeah. that it, it is startling 
in some ways. And, you know, that is one. And, you know, that he that he's also politicking with the Federalists. That kind of supports that idea that Hamilton said that yeah. says, that, you know, does this guy have any? Does he have any principles that he yeah. actually sticks with? So, yeah, that does not speak highly of Burr, you know, in the least. No, not really. Uh, and, I mean, that hurt his that hurt his political career because I, it, if he was president, I guess it would have paid off. But it was it was a bit of a long shot. Jefferson was always intended uh, to by, you know, by everyone that voted for him, he was intended to be the president. And I don't know how much I mean, people have kind of thrown around the accusation that Burr was got that, you know, the guy who was supposed to vote for someone else that, you know, Burr had deliberately set that up uh so that you know he would essentially start this this problem in congress which was one of very few times that anything you know that the the presidential election came down to what was going to happen in congress and it is amazing to think that you know that burr at the very least made an effort to uh change history i wonder what would have happened if burr was president i mean obviously the right thing to do here is obvious right the absolute right thing to do here is obvious you voted for jefferson to be president me to be vice president yeah and the the idea that he's going to go try to leverage this uh you know what is clearly an error yeah uh, and then try to take power. Wow, that's uh, yeah. And so then you can see why Jefferson thought that he might be guilty of treason. Yeah. You know, later. And you know, it, it sidelined Burr for the for he had essentially no power at all during Jefferson's presidency. Uh, for well, for the for that first first term, because of course he gets he gets kicked out uh, basically as as soon as Jefferson had the opportunity. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a risky it was a risky thing because that's part of uh, they they talk about you know in some ways how his his political problems uh, especially because of the fact that he was you know had fallen out of favor in so much because of what he did in 1800 that that might have been part of why he you know accepted the duel with hamilton is that he was in a place where he was particularly sensitive uh, to assaults on his honor and i mean who knows you know that's it's difficult to say but uh, well and ultimately if it was a if it was a, an attempt to get back in the public eye or uh, reignite his political career it, it backfired spectacularly it's, it the, the other direction, yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's so i i, I mean he's a complex guy yeah uh, I, I don't think that he was probably in, in in willfully a traitor to his nation uh but uh, uh he he you know clearly uh you know, pride was a problem. Yeah. Clearly, ambition was a problem. Clearly, maybe because of uh, who his you know father and grandfather was, he came yeah. with an expectation that he was going to achieve a high office, uh, and maybe that you know that that drive is part of what you know made him a flawed individual. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it's certainly uh, you can say that there were flaws in in Aaron Burr. Yeah. Uh, and in his personality and in his behavior, but I mean, in, you know, in the end, did he deserve to be tried for treason? Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's it's hard to say. You know, it's it's uh, it, it's it's you know, maybe more that he was a uh, you know, yeah. creating problems of his own making that were that were unnecessary. Uh, and had Aaron Burr achieved office, whether he managed <laughs> to do that <laughs> essentially by stealing it in the yeah. election, or whether, you know, whether he, you know, would have, if he had kept his nose clean, had not done that, had not shot Hamilton, had not, you know, maybe if he had, you know, done what was expected in 1800, then, you know, he might have been the next president of the United yeah. States at, a, you know, at, a, at an interesting time in American history. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's he he raises a lot of questions. Yeah. There's a lot of you can do a lot of what ifs with Aaron Burr. Uh, and in the end, we don't, you know, we don't truly know all that was inside him. No. I don't think we really got the chance to see, you know, what he might have been, what he could have been. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe circumstances means that we really saw the, the worst of him. But he certainly isn't remembered uh, in the way that I think that he wanted to. Well, be. and one of the reasons, you know, Hamilton uh, gets, gets 
uh, both that book, uh, Chernow's book, which is a, was a pretty significant reappraisal of Hamilton, uh, and and the the musical, which of course paints him as the protagonist. Um, he gets one of the reasons why we're able to do so much is because he had a had a had a large amount of correspondence that survived, and not all of it because uh, I mean like most of his letters to his wife uh, were destroyed, uh, which there's there's a whole song about that in the uh, in the musical, and we never really get to know what was going on in their personal life uh, and how say she responded to the Reynolds pamphlet and uh, stuff like that. We don't, mm-hmm. Just don't really get that that perspective. But Burr left almost nothing. Uh, so we we don't know what uh, what kind of reappraisals might have happened uh, with Burr if we had been able to if see that. If we had that. his personal papers, would we have a very different view of yeah. Aaron Burr? And there's there's other people uh, that that are like that. You know, uh, Zachary Taylor, who was only president for <laughs> for a short time, but he all of his papers were burned during the Civil War. That his plantation was burned down, and so we don't uh, we we know kind of surprisingly little about Zachary Taylor's mm-hmm. personal life because we, we essentially only know his public life. And it's interesting with that kind of stuff because there are a lot of people uh, like Hamilton who have been essentially, you know, rescued from their their particular part in history by our ability to see, you know, what, what it is they were thinking and what they were writing. Uh, Jefferson and Adams, both of their reputations and continued scholarship has relied on on the voluminous <laughs> work that they've left behind. And it's it's interesting to think what, what could have been different. Um, and that might have told us something about this this coup, the supposed coup that that Burr was accused of doing. It with this, it's a, another really interesting story, and perhaps you know uh, as interesting as anything else that happened in Burr's life. And we are left ultimately, uh, as you mentioned in the last one, it's unexplained. We honestly don't know. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know where his intent were, what his connection to the Spanish yeah. uh, were. You know, uh, you know, was he trying to build his own empire west of the Mississippi, or was he, you know, literally, you know, hoping to overthrow the United States? Yeah. Or did he have nothing to do with it? Or was this all Wilkinson, who was trying to shift blame from himself? We honestly don't know. Yeah. We never got Burr's real side of the story, except that you know he did defend himself in court. And all we know in the end is that. Uh, he, there weren't two people who would get on the stand and say he was a traitor. Yeah. That's all we really know. That's all we know because ultimately he could he was raising troops, uh, but his his exact reasoning for doing so is isn't clear. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, his, his story was he was he was going to defend them from what he thought was a Spanish invasion which, over which you, know, you I think you would have called yeah. patriotic rather than uh, treason. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, but, and, you know, someone as ambitious as him, you know, uh, what, what good reason does he have to raise an army? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Nobody knows, uh, and so that, yeah. but again, it makes for this really compelling story of a really compelling man, and it's it's fine, even as we talk about forgotten history, that some parts of it yeah. are forgotten, I mean, because we, we can only know what we know. I mean, some of it being left unexplained, uh, you know, adds to, uh, you know, the historical story, yeah. uh, and still makes it a cautionary tale, but, you know, it would be... It would be as historians. It would be nice to know. I, I tell you, it would be interesting. I, I don't know if someone's written that book about what uh, Burr actually creating some kind of Western empire. That would a that is quite the counterfactual there. Um, I I don't know. I, I just I don't know. I honestly have no idea. Certainly, you can see why Jefferson thought it him capable of it. Uh, but it's it's it still seems like a. I mean, it it was a harebrained scheme, if there ever was we're one. We're not far off from the period of filibusters, where yeah. where you know some American will just go off and you know with some mercenaries and just try to take control of the country, uh, well, and uh, and so I mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a shocker if he was looking for some version of that if he you know if he's looking 
looking at at the time Spanish Louisiana, which yeah. is this massive territory, uh, and that was very you know nominally controlled by this this yeah. incredibly poorly settled. Especially since he he probably at that time felt like his political ambitions in you know in America had been exhausted, or you know he was never going to you know go farther than than where he was. Uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Maybe he was just trying to start a town. A lot of people did. A lot of people went into the wilderness and carved out a town, and maybe that's his only intent. That that version of it makes a lot of sense too. And so, you know, in terms of what's plausible, I mean, either one seems to seems to make some sense. And I mean, Burr Burr did go on. You know, he goes to Europe and he he dined with with uh, you know fairly influential people in Europe and stuff like that. But he never uh, his his career was was very well known over after he shoots Hamilton. And then any hope of possibly uh, you know beginning a new political career, which would have been very difficult is shattered by by this treason trial which even you know even if the the none of the facts that are brought even if he wasn't a traitor was just an incredibly interesting story uh is is crazy and ultimately you know burr doesn't get uh exonerated by us finding that wilkinson was actively working for the spanish uh probably even during the period <laughs> that probably even during the, yeah yeah <laughs> uh what exactly I, you know and that's that's part of it is that it's wilkinson essentially managed to kind of skate under history that way well the whole story was of that that theoretically he and wilkinson had yeah. had plotted together yeah. right i mean they had hatched this plot together, yeah but... well and then and then wilkinson manages to get himself out of it which of course would have been the kind of thing that happens when you're doing some kind of harebrained scheme like this is that someone gets caught out and <laughs> he's gonna sell you out of course um but I, I don't know. It's hard to know how much of a shot they would have had, even if they were planning something like that. Uh, it it certainly would have been possible for someone to run out there and be like, oh, well, this is our new country. What are you going to do about it? Uh, there wasn't there there wasn't a lot going on out there that uh, in terms of I mean, Spain would have had a difficult time uh, dealing with that. But they also probably would yeah, have tried. Dislodging them, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, maybe it depends, you know, what you're doing and what you're interfering with. And I mean, it was it was certainly the frontier at the time. It's interesting, and I, you know, that's a part of the story that that we don't get to hear. And ultimately, you know, what we I mean, what I think that's not that's not that far off of what the Texicans eventually went. No, yeah, I mean, not really, right? And that was, uh, and we didn't end up. I mean, it was such a sparsely populated area at the time. But I think, I mean, I think what we really see from both of these episodes is that Hamilton and Burr were very complex people, and that it was a, the period is is so interesting in the ways the ways that things could have gone and i mean that's true of all history and i think that you know mm -hmm. this is a very highly studied piece of history especially in the united states we know a lot about a lot of things in this period of history but it's interesting what we don't know what well, we don't know about these two complex people whose paths crossed yeah. in numerous ways including of course in the the duel in weehawken yeah so i mean it's that you have these two fascinating guys that these two that these two fascinating guys about whom there are there's still a lot of mystery there's yep. still a lot that we don't know uh and that the two of them uh, you know cross paths in these very important ways you know it just again it's just a it's a good story yeah i mean it, it might be a better story if we really knew the answers of some of it, it might be a better story if they hadn't essentially ruined each other's careers it still is just an, an a good story to say you know it, you know these are people of the time uh and of that time you could get someone you know that close to power yeah i mean both of them came very close to you know very extreme power uh and uh, and you know who they were and who we don't know they were yeah. so it's 
the reason that we do this, the reason I think that both of us do this, is just because uh, you know sometimes uh, history is just a ripping yarn. Yeah, and these absolutely. Times, this is this is a ripping yarn. It's it was worth it was worth being turned into a musical because I tell you what it does read a stranger than fiction. And I mean, by any means, both extraordinary personalities. Uh, you know, I how much they actually impacted history. I mean, uh, you know, clearly not as much as either of them hoped that they would. <laughs> I think that's that's uh, true. But they were certainly they were certainly interesting fellows. Thank you for listening to this episode of the History Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Forgotten History, and if you did, you can find more on our website, thehistoryguy.com. We release podcasts every two weeks, so stick around if you want to hear more podcasts of Forgotten History. You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. You can even get a personalized message from the History Guy himself on Cameo.